Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right, we are so, so grateful to God for the movement that we're seeing among our kids and our students. We're seeing more kids and students every weekend. And if you're on site, I'd encourage you to pick up one of these cards in the lobby. You'll get a bracelet with it. If you're online, text the word CAMP to us. And uh, as Tony mentioned in the video, if you're not yet serving, kids and students are a phenomenal place to serve. It will bring you so much joy as you interact with our generation. Raising the strongest generation for Christ is really at the heart of our vision as a church. And I want to thank all of you who are giving who are serving, who are praying, and just a really quick celebration of how God is at work. A couple weeks ago, we announced a match for anyone who signed up to be a new regular giver. That's a way of prioritizing God's work in your life and being part of what he's doing here in the next generation, online, through missions, in our building, and all around the world. Well, guys, I just want to help you praise the Lord here. 85 families, that's 85 families signed up for new recurring giving. That is a huge step of faith. We're so proud of those 85. And thanks to the generosity of one family in our church, all of their recurring giving for the first three months has doubled. So God is working in really big ways. I also want to encourage you, our attendance over this summer is growing. And normally in the Midwest, in church, you see attendance go down in the summer. But instead, we're growing, and we're growing in our youth, we're growing in our generosity, we're growing online, and we're reaching people around the world. I just want to say thank you. And uh, before we get into the Word of God, would you join me in just praying? The back of this card, you'll pick up this card in the lobby, or you'll text the word CAMP, and it gives you the name of a student. Uh, My student's name is Simone, and the prayer on the back is the same for all of our students. So I want to pray this right now as our kids, elementary, middle school, and high school, will be going off to various camps this summer. Would you join me in praying together for them? Jesus, we're gathered here, and we just want to declare together that we want you to be the head of our church. Uh, Lord, we're not here to listen to or learn from anyone other than you and your word. And so we declare as your body of believers that we want you to be our leader. We want your word to be our guide. And Lord, we need your spirit to be our power source. Father, we want to pray specifically today for our sons and daughters, our grandsons and granddaughters, biologically, and our spiritual sons and daughters. Lord, we pray for every child, every middle school and high school student in our movement that you would capture their hearts And Lord, over these summer nights and at these summer camp gatherings, we want to pray specifically, Lord, that every one of these sons and daughters would find their identity and their life transformation in you, Jesus. We want to pray specifically that they'll find belonging through meaningful relationships in your church, Lord. They're each seeking to know who am I and where do I fit. Help them to find that here. Lord, we pray that every one of them would find purpose and passion 
in your kingdom and in your mission. And God, we pray that each one of them and each one of us would take steps forward in our faith. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, you're joining us for week one of a new series called I Choose Peace. And I've been so excited to bring this material to you. It's all based out of the book of Philippians in the Bible, but this is incredibly practical. We're really answering the question, how do you quiet your heart in an anxious world? And I want to talk with you today specifically about how you can rediscover peace wherever you've lost peace in your life. And I'll start us off with a true story, a true story from a time in my life when really I was doing everything right, but I had lost my peace. Have you ever been there where you've lost your peace to such an extreme that even if you go away on vacation, you're restless at night and you can't sleep because you have so much anxiety in your heart? Well, this was the case for me. I was in my late 20s. I was healthy. I had a beautiful wife who was healthy. We had a beautiful baby boy, Jack. He was just a little guy at that time, and we were on vacation to San Diego. In fact, here's a picture of Mel holding Jack when we were at SeaWorld. Everything in my life really was good. We were healthy, and the little church that we had started with 40 people, it had grown to be about 150 people, and I should have been really enjoying the vacation and having a great time, but I had these sleepless nights. And I'll never forget one night in particular. It was 2 o'clock in the morning, and I was sitting on the bathroom floor of the hotel there in San Diego, and I couldn't sleep. And I just remember thinking, man, God, I know that I know you, and I know things are right with you, but I just need peace in my life. You see, my peace had been stolen. Maybe your peace has been stolen. The thief of my peace actually had a real name. Uh, this is not a metaphor. There was a guy named Dave in our church there in Arizona. And uh, Dave was part of the elder board, part of the leadership team. And if you're not familiar with how churches work according to the New Testament, the book of 1 Timothy says that every church is supposed to have elder overseers. And so as a lead pastor, that's who I answer to. That's who I give account to and, of course, to God as well. Well, Dave was one of the elder overseers at this little church in Arizona. And Dave didn't mean to be a thorn in my flesh. He was trying to do the right thing, but he was driving me crazy. You see, Dave had this disagreement with me. And if you're new to church, I won't bore you with all the details. But Dave had a theological disagreement he thought that Jesus only died on the cross for the people who believe in him and that it was wrong for me to say that Jesus died for the world. And so things would happen where I'd be doing my best to grow this little church and I was working so hard, night and day, seven days a week. And then I'd show up in an elders meeting to say, hey guys, let's hire a youth pastor or let's help this family. And Dave would show up sometimes with a 50-page paper where he would theologically prove all the errors of my sermon. And you guys, it's not that I wasn't teachable. I was in seminary and I had mentors and all the other elders were encouraging me. But Dave had gotten so divisive. Now, I tell that story because you probably don't relate to being a, a senior pastor as a young 20-something with an elder who's critiquing everything you do. But maybe you can relate to this. 
having conflict in your workplace. Or maybe you can relate to this, having conflict with an incredibly stubborn person. Conflict with someone who's trying to destroy everything you're working for because the conflict for me wasn't just that this guy doesn't like me or thinks I'm wrong. He was trying to introduce teaching into our church that I knew would end up splitting our church. And where our elder meetings were supposed to be a time of unity and prayer, they were constantly a time of debate and him getting upset. And I kept trying to make peace with this guy, but he just refused to. And it looked like everything that I'd worked for and was sacrificing for was going to get destroyed. Probably the worst part of it all was this holier-than-thou approach. That anyone who didn't interpret the Bible like him wasn't a good Christian. And I remember just being so afraid that my elder board was going to get divided and that it would divide the church and that all the work would be for nothing. Now, maybe you don't relate to being a pastor and Thankfully, we've got amazing elders here, and that story is long enough ago, 15 years ago now, that I can talk about it. But perhaps you can relate to being on a vacation or somewhere else, and you still can't sleep. Or you try to get things right in every part of your life you can control, but you still just don't have peace in your heart. I remember as I sat on that bathroom floor at 2 a.m., I thought of Jesus, the true story of the time that he was asleep in a boat that was in the middle of a storm. And as the waves are crashing over the sides of the boat, the disciples start to panic and they have so much fear. And they wake him up and they say, how are you sleeping in a storm? And I remember sitting on that bathroom floor and just thinking, Jesus, I know you're in control of this troublemaker, Dave, and I know you're in control of the church, but Lord, I don't know how to sleep in a storm like this. I know that you do, but I don't know how to sleep when my circumstances are so frightening and out of my control. I wonder for you, what kind of storm are you in right now? Are you maybe in a relational storm? Are you in a financial storm? Maybe you're in a storm of conflict, similar to what I was explaining, though maybe your conflict uh, hits much closer to home. Maybe it's with your spouse or with an ex-spouse or with an in-law. Are you perhaps in a storm of anxiety? Or maybe you're watching right now and you say, yeah, John, I'm in a storm, but I don't even know what to call it. There's just no peace in my life. I wonder, how's your peace level? Truly, just between you and God, do you have peace in your heart? And I wonder, would you like to learn how to sleep in a storm? That is, even if you can't change the cancer diagnosis, even if you can't change the angry relative, even if you can't change the person who's destroying your work, the person who's destroying your livelihood, what if you could still sleep in the storm? What can you do when a person or a situation has stolen your peace? If I could tell you today how you can sleep in the middle of that storm, would you want to know how? If I could tell you how Jesus slept through his storm and how he now makes it possible for you, would you want to know how? Well, God's word tells us in John 14, Jesus is speaking and he's actually speaking to those same disciples who had been in a panic when the boat was being tossed around in the storm. Now in John 14, Jesus says this to them. He says, peace I leave with you. 
my peace I give to you. Now, the context of this is really important. Because Jesus himself is in the biggest storm of his life. This is moments before Jesus is going to go out and be arrested. Jesus is going to be canceled. He's going to be falsely tried in a courtroom. And then he's going to be crucified. Jesus knows that he's about to endure physical agony, social rejection, abandonment from his closest friends. He's going to take upon him the guilt and shame of other people for things that he didn't even do wrong. And in the midst of that, he has enough peace to actually give peace to others. And these words are so simple, but they're so profound because Jesus promises this for every true Christian. For everyone who's believed in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, this promise is for you. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Now I'm convinced from my time on that bathroom floor at 2 a.m. in San Diego as a young pastor, all the way up to today, that the vast majority of Christians, including myself many days, simply don't take Jesus up on this offer. Instead, we continue to look for peace in our circumstances, in things we can control, in our own emotions, in the people around us, in so many other things. In fact, look at the second part of what Jesus says. He says, I don't give you peace as the world gives. How does the world give peace? Well, in the situation I described, it would have been that elder saying, oh, John, I agree with you. Everything's okay. I'm not going to cause any more trouble. We tend to want the problem to get solved. But Jesus, who's about to go into the biggest problem any of us could imagine, says, I'm going to give you a different kind of peace that comes from within. So don't let your hearts be troubled. And don't allow yourself to be afraid. He doesn't say don't ever feel afraid. But don't allow fear to overcome your faith. In other words, to summarize Jesus' promise here, no matter what has stolen your peace, maybe a person has stolen your peace or maybe a situation has stolen your peace, no matter what has stolen your peace, you can today begin receiving peace from Jesus. Peace that has an infinite reservoir, an unlimited source. I know that peace has been stolen from you through some circumstance or some person in your life, but what if today you could experience Jesus in a way that replenishes that peace that's been taken away? And interesting, Jesus says this peace is a gift. Now, in that leadership conflict that I told you about when I was a young leader, I had to learn over the course of that next year how to receive the peace that Jesus has given And while I haven't lived it out perfectly ever since then, it has changed the peace level in my life. And that's really what I want to teach you today. And what we as a church want to teach you in these next four weeks is how you can learn to receive Jesus' infinite supply of peace no matter what you're going through. To help us in our study, we're going through this book called I Choose Peace, written by a mentor of mine, a friend of mine named Chip Ingram. One of my favorite quotes from Chip's book is this. Peace is a gift and a choice. It's a gift in that it's already freely available to you, but it's a choice in that you must choose 
to receive the kind of peace that doesn't come from your circumstances in, but comes instead from the inside where the Holy Spirit lives out. Now here's a little overview of where we're going to go these next few weeks. Today, I want to talk to you from the Word of God about how to find peace in relational conflict. The kind of conflict of the story I told you about in my life, and I'm sure that has brought to your mind some relationships where there's strain in your life. And then in the next three weeks, we'll talk about finding peace in anxious moments, in difficult circumstances, and in tests of faith. Now, as we talk today about relational peace, I just want to ask you a question. Who is the one person with whom you'd most like to be at peace? With what one person would you most like to be at peace? Is it your spouse? Is it a relative? Is it a coworker? Is it a neighbor? Is it an ex-spouse? Maybe, it's a little deep, but maybe it's yourself, the person you'd most like to be at peace with. You know, as I've prayed for each of you this week, and I hope you know that um, the elders here, and I get to be one of those elders, that we pray for you regularly here. And I've been praying as I've been preparing this message, knowing there are thousands of people in our movement across dozens of states and many here in central Indiana. And that a message like this about relational conflict, I mean, it hits a nerve for every single one of us. We live in a world where we all have some broken relationships. And the challenge of preaching about relational conflict is that the healthy step forward can look very different in very different relationships. There might be someone listening right now where you actually need to stand up for yourself a little bit. And the step toward peace is actually you having enough dignity to say, no, you can't treat me that way. Or I do have some boundaries about when you can contact me and not contact me. Simultaneously, there are other people listening right now that need to actually humble themselves and say, Man, I have not been respecting you. I've not been treating you like someone made in the image of God. So, with all these thousands of different relationships, what are the universal principles from Jesus that every one of us can take? And I want to give you three of them today. Step one is this. Wherever there's relational strain in your life, step one, receive peace from Christ. That is from above, your vertical relationship with God, and learn his way of life. Now, if you've been following Jesus for very long, even just for a few weeks, you've probably had some of these moments where you sense a supernatural peace, a peace that defies understanding. But also, if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, you've had other moments where you don't have that peace. Learning to live Jesus' way of life is learning one conflict at a time, one problem at a time, how to look above for your peace instead of looking around for your peace. And being at peace, by the way, doesn't mean you have the approval of everyone around you. Doesn't mean that everyone loves you. That sure wasn't the case for Jesus. Being at peace, though, means if you're on vacation, you can sleep at night. It means that internally you're at rest. You know, Jesus, when he talked about peace, he would have used the Hebrew word shalom. And shalom had to it this sense of all is well. Doesn't mean that every circumstance is perfect, but internally 
all is well. This is the kind of shalom peace that Jesus was promising when he said in John 14, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give you peace as the world gives. In other words, the peace the world gives is is like a cup that you drink it and it has to constantly be refilled. And you have to keep looking for more things and controlling the circumstances. And Jesus says, I've just got this spring, this limitless reservoir, this eternal, infinite source of peace. But you have to choose to drink from that. You know, it was in the same conversation that Jesus says in verse 31, the world, all the people around me, must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Now, this is really, really insightful into how Jesus lived his life of peace even when he was in a storm. And the the bottom line is he was always looking to the Father for the acceptance that we all long for. Whenever he needed relational peace and the people around him didn't like him, he would look to the Father. In fact, in a summary of Jesus' life, I want to give you some simple but really powerful statements about your hunt for peace in your relationships. Now, here they are. We all have an appetite for approval from the people around us. We all have an appetite for relational Peace. This is what we were designed for. And so your desire, uh, by the way, if you, if you quench this, and if you're living with unresolved uh, tension all around you, it'll, it'll start to affect your health. It'll affect your stomach. Maybe you'll get migraine headaches. If you're living and you're just denying that you have an internal need for relational peace, uh, it'll show up in your health. Even Jesus longed to be at a shalom peace with the people around him. But notice this next statement. Jesus fed this appetite, this need to know that we're okay, and I'm provided for, and you're provided for, to be relationally at peace. Jesus fed that appetite through God the Father. In other words, he always looked to the Father for his approval. We just saw that in John 14, verse 31. But interestingly, Jesus, it didn't, that didn't make him callous towards people. It's not like he was like, well, I have all the affirmation I need in my relationship with the Father, so who cares what any of you think? While Jesus didn't need people's approval, because he loved the Father, he loved people extravagantly and unconditionally. Jesus loved people extravagantly even though... He wasn't looking to people for his approval or to fill his appetite for relational peace. This is like graduate level Christianity here. This is when you really learn to live like Jesus is when you can interact with the people in your family, the people at your workplace, the people in your school in a way that says, I don't need for you to like me. I don't need your approval. I actually don't need anything from you. I get all of that from God, but I love you unconditionally. So I'm being kind, I'm being patient, I'm serving you, not so I can get something back, but because I have everything I need from God the Father and I have an overflow 
to give to you. You know, many people were not peaceful toward Jesus, but he always found his peace in God the Father. And here's what's just phenomenal about that promise in John 14 when he says, my peace I give to you. It sounds so simple, but that entire way of life where all the affirmation you need, you've got it 24-7 in your vertical relationship. All the relational peace you need, you've got it no matter what anyone says or thinks of you and yet you're so confident in your relationship with God that you can give them unconditional love, you can give them mercy, you can give them forgiveness when they don't deserve it, you can overflow with the fruits of the spirit of patience and long-suffering and kindness. Now, Jesus offers to you that kind of invincible peace. Jesus offers to you the invincible peace, this whole new way of life, but notice, you must choose it. You must choose this whole new way of life. Now, I know this has been pretty heavy, and as we're talking about relational strain and finding our identity in God, this is, this is heavy stuff. So I want to give you maybe a little bit lighter picture, and it's a story of a what it looks like to have a gift that can't be earned. This happened for me on Father's Day. I took my daughter, Evie, over to the Indy 500 racetrack, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and we were uh, visiting some friends over there, and we actually stopped by to try to encourage them a little bit, and we also wanted to see some of these really cool cars. Well, while we were there, one of our friends there is a guy named Al Unser Jr. Al has won the Indy 500 race a couple times, and Uh, My favorite thing about Al isn't that he's an Indy 500 winner, it's that he's our brother in Christ. Uh, About three years ago, Al was in here on our Saturday night service. He believed in Jesus in a life-changing way. I've gotten to baptize Al, and we've gotten to see him grow in Christ. And as I was uh, hanging out there, and Al took me and Evie into this back area where we got to see some of these really cool cars that were there to do a vintage race... Al looked over at me, and this is an illustration of a gift that you cannot earn. He looks at me, and he says, hey, John, do you want to ride with me in the pace car? Al's driving the pace car for all of these vintage Indy cars that are racing around the track. And when he said, do you want to ride with me in the pace car, I'm thinking, this is incredible. No one gets to just ride with an Indy 500 winner in the pace car Leading all of these, some of these vintage cars are worth millions of dollars around this racetrack. I mean, this is incredible. And so Al says, John, do you want to ride with me? And I'm like, well, yeah, I do. And so I can tell you all about what this gift was like, but I want to show you just the first 45 seconds or so. Go ahead and take a look.
So yeah, that's a Father's Day that I'm never going to forget. I got to ride for about the next 30, 40 minutes as Al drove the pace car for a number of vintage indie races. I got to keep looking out the back window and in the rearview mirror and seeing these beautiful indie cars from every era. And here's the thing, that situation, the gift of someone being your friend and inviting you into something like that, it's something that money can't buy. I mean, afterwards, fans were coming up to Al, and they're like, I can't believe I'm meeting you. I can't believe I'm even touching your hand. And I'm thinking, God, how cool that as we just tell people about Jesus, you gave me this gift as a pastor to just get to do that. And the point is this. Al offered me this gift. But if I hadn't been there hanging out with him, I wouldn't have been able to receive it. And secondly, when he said, do you want to ride with me in the car? Well, I had to choose to say Yes, and then I had to open the door and I had to sit down in the car. And I know this isn't a perfect analogy, but I just want you to understand the parallel that Jesus says, I'm giving you a different kind of peace. It's almost like Jesus says, do you want to ride with me? I have a vehicle that can drive you to peace, but you have to choose to get into it. I have a way of life that delivers peace that you can't buy. You can only have by knowing me in relationship, but you still have to choose this. You won't receive or experience Jesus' way of peace if you don't get in, if you don't live his new kind of life. What does it look like to get in? Well, the first is making sure you know Jesus as your savior. If you're joining us and you don't know that for sure, make today the day that you call out to him for salvation. But the second, just like I mentioned in my opening story about being a young pastor, you can be a Christian and you can be doing everything right in life, but you can forget to look to Jesus for your peace. And you start to look around you. Here's the bottom line. If you're looking to a person other than Jesus to give you peace, you're going to miss out on the peace that Jesus gives. It's not that having a a spouse or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a career, those aren't bad things. But the question is, what are you looking to to be the source of your peace? If you're looking to a raise or a promotion to be the source of your peace, you're going to be let down. If you're looking to a spouse or a girlfriend or a boyfriend as the source of your peace, you're going to be let down. If you're looking for an achievement or your identity or any kind of situation to be the source of your peace, you're going to be let down, but you can live better because Jesus says, I give you the better peace for free. You just have to receive it and come on into my way of life. Well, question, where you have conflict in your life with a person or a coworker or relative, Have you been looking to that person to give you the peace? Have you been looking to them not in a way that says, God, how do I love them and do what's right, but instead, I need them to give me peace? Perhaps your step forward is looking to Jesus to be the source who can allow you to love them unconditionally and to extend peace to them rather than demanding peace from them. So to review step one, receive peace from Christ and learn his way of life. While this says step one, this is a lifelong learning process. I am now much better at this than I was in my 20s, 
But have I arrived? Far from it. Not a month goes by that I will discover, oh, I was looking for my peace in some person or something or even the work of God and being able to measure it instead of in God himself. And so Jesus says, my peace, I give you. That's step one. Well, once you've tapped into this invincible source of peace from above, how do you now go to that strained relationship in your life and make peace? Well, that's step two. Step two, after you receive infinite peace from Christ, now extend peace to the person who's offended or the person where there's conflict. But this is important. Extend that peace knowing this. You answer to God for your half of the relationship, but not for their half. (laughs) And again, this is simple, but this is really hard to live out. Every relationship, it's like two hands that are, are held together. God does not hold you accountable for the other person. If you're saying, I give you peace, I give you forgiveness, I apologize, and and they just have a fist, God does not hold you accountable for that. But he does hold you accountable if you're having a fist toward them. Romans 12 verse 18 puts it this way. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. (laughs) Notice that word everyone. That means people who are of a different political party, people who are of a different political persuasion, people who might not like you, people in your family who you can't get along with. Now, God doesn't command you to live at peace with everyone because some people are impossible to live at peace with. But he says, if it's possible and as much as it depends on you. Jesus modeled this for us. Jesus on his half of the relationship, lived at peace with everyone. And yet, even though he offered peace, there were people who arrested him. There were people who beat him. There were people who chanted crucify him. There were people who hammered stakes through his forearms and his wrists and his hands into the cross. And he hung there, even though he did everything he could to be at peace with them. And so we live knowing this. We'll give account to God at the end of our lives. We won't give account for how people responded to us, but we will give account for how we responded to them. And so step one, receive your peace from above. Live looking to Jesus for your peace. Step two, extend peace where relationships have been strained or broken and know before God that you've done your best to make things right. Step three is to keep your peace. Because if you are in a relationship with enough people, you'll have someone where you do your best to extend peace over and over again, and instead they come back with anger, they come back with rage, and it'll shake you when that happens. And so step three is to keep your peace. Doesn't mean you appease that person. If they're asking you to do something wrong or they're wrongly accusing you, um, You keep your peace by daily choosing to live in the Lord. So being at peace with the people around us, it doesn't mean we do whatever they want. It doesn't mean we let them walk on us. We continue to find our peace from above and we treat others the way God wants us to treat them. And even if they don't respond with appreciation, we keep our peace by living in the Lord. 
Now this gets us to Philippians 4. We're going to spend this week and the next three weeks studying this chapter. So if you don't yet have a life application study Bible, you can text the word Bible or stop by our Connection Corner. And I would invite you to read the book of Philippians with us in this next month. In Philippians 4 verse 1, Paul the Apostle's writing and he's actually writing to resolve an interpersonal conflict that's happening in the church there at this city of Philippi. And Paul says this, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and I long for, you are my joy and my crown. And, and by the way, Paul's about to rebuke them, but he rebukes them in love. And he says this, Stand firm in the Lord and in this way, this new way of life. Dear friends, by the way, this is the first of three times in just the four verses that we look at today where Paul's going to say, in the Lord. Those three words, in the Lord. This is a way of life. A way of life where you're vertically looking up above constantly for your source of peace, your source of affirmation, and your direction of how do I respond to this person? What do I do or say? What do I not do and not say? Verse 2. Therefore, Paul says, I plead. Now he's going to name two specific women in this church. These women are in a fight. But Paul, notice he doesn't villainize either one of them. He doesn't even take a side in it. He just says, I plead with Iodia and with Syndicate to be of the same mind in the Lord. So we don't know what these two women were disagreeing about. But just like that elder with me in that church back in Prescott, Arizona, they were disagreeing about something. And Paul says, have the same mind in the Lord. Notice, he doesn't say you have to agree on your disagreement. But he does say you have to agree that the Lord is more important than your disagreement. And that's what I had to keep saying with the, that, that guy who was uh, causing trouble in my church was, brother... I, I, you don't have to agree with me about this, you know, theological thing that you're into. I'm not insisting that you agree with me, but the Lord is more important. The church is more important. You can't divide the church over your opinion. Notice, Paul doesn't say here, I want you guys to feel good about this. He says, I want you to choose that God is more important than your ego that God is more important than being right. Choose to put God in first place. And then he says this, and this is a great principle. If you're at odds with another believer and you're trying to make peace, recruit the help of a mature believer to help you sit down and make amends. Verse 3, Paul says, yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. So it's really interesting. It's easy when you're at odds with someone, when there's relational tension to villainize or to demonize. You start to think everything that person does is evil. And maybe that was happening between these two women, but Paul reminds them, hey, you both have been serving in the church. You both, when this church in, the, in Philippi was a tiny little church plant, you've been with me from the beginning. I've seen you both pray. I've seen you both serve. I've seen you give of your time and your resources. Both of you have your name written in the book of life. 
Treat each other that way. Respect each other. Treat each other with honor. Stop taking your own opinion so seriously and treating your opinion like it's God instead of treating God like he's God. Remember, we're looking at this phrase, in the Lord. And that's what he says in verse 4. Trailing right after this, rejoice in the Lord always. This, by the way, is that peace that Jesus gives. It's when we rejoice vertically in the Lord, even if our circumstances around us are a storm, we're able to sleep in the storm because of our relationship with God above. In fact, Paul the Apostle is writing this from a jail cell. He's been wrongly accused, he's been imprisoned, and he's saying, I can still rejoice in the Lord. Uh, In fact, while Paul's not in Philippi right now, it was in the Philippian city that he was in a jail it's recorded in the book of acts and he and silas were singing songs and god miraculously sets them free paul had learned jesus way of walking in peace even when our circumstances around us are stormy and that's why he says i'll say it again rejoice in the lord so where's the focus it's not the person who's wronged me it's the god who's made me made me right with him And my focus isn't proving myself right to the person. It's just extending God's love and God's truth to the person. And then verse 5, listen to this. This applies to all our relationships. Let your gentleness be evident, not only to brothers and sisters, especially to brothers and sisters, but to all people, because the Lord is near. Now, we read that the Lord is near, and we probably think, oh, it means God's with us. And that's true. The Holy Spirit lives in us, and Where two or three believers are together, Jesus is in our midst. But this phrase was actually referring to Christ is going to return. One day you're going to be going about your day and Christ could return through the clouds. And when he does, you're going to give account to him for your life. So will you know that every strained relationship in your life, you found your peace in him. And then as much as it was possible... You lived at peace with them, whether they returned it or not, because he's going to return. And so let your gentleness be evident to all. With other believers, remind yourself how valuable they are to God. Choose to agree and unite on what matters most. When you need it, enlist the help of pastors on our staff here or other mature counselors Uh, other mature believers who can help you sit down and work out your disagreement. And in all situations, let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, I opened this message by telling you about that guy named Dave at my little church in Arizona who was really dividing the elder board and on the verge of dividing the whole church. You know what happened is I kept praying and saying, Jesus, I don't want to ever be angry with this guy but I want to stand for your truth. I'm not going to let him divide your church, but I, just give me the wisdom. As I did that, God in his time led Dave to just move on to a different church. I mean, one elders meeting after another, I just kept saying, Dave, I'm not saying you have to agree with me, but I am saying don't divide the body of Christ. And it took months, about the better part of a year. Eventually, Dave, after me and the other elders just said, hey, If you believe that so strongly, maybe just go to a church that makes that their centerpiece. Because we're not saying you can't believe it, but that's just not our centerpiece here. Um, And so Dave then went on and, and he did that. 
And I learned in that year how to find my peace in Christ, even when everything around me was a storm. But I've had to continue to learn it at different levels, through sickness and through different difficulties. But I will tell you this, when I look back more than a decade later now, I realized that, man, almost a year of my life, my peace, I let this guy, Dave, steal it, even though Jesus was offering infinite peace. And I love this quote from Chip's book, I Choose Peace. Refuse to let one relationship ruin your life. Doesn't mean you disregard people. Everyone's made in the image of God. You treat them with dignity, with respect. But as you find your peace and affirmation in God, there will be some people in your life, maybe it's an estranged adult child, maybe it's someone else that just no matter what you do, they will not live at peace with you Don't let it steal your joy and your peace for the rest of your life. Live knowing before God that you're as much as is possible on your side, living at peace with all people. Then find your peace from the Father, just like Jesus did, and then go live the joyful, abundant life, making disciples, walking with the Lord. This book, I Choose Peace, can be a great resource for you. I know if this message strikes a nerve for you, that it takes more than one sermon to really figure out living at peace with the people around you. So I'd encourage you to pick up the book, I Choose Peace. And there's one other book that I'd highly recommend to you called The Peacemaker by an author named Ken Sandy. This is also a biblically-based book specifically about how to make peace when you've had a strained relationship. Now, I wish in our 40 minutes together that I could wave a magic wand and just make all your difficulty go away. While I can't do that, What I can do is let you know that Jesus has done something even better. He's offered you the ability to sleep in a storm. Even if the waves continue to crash over the side of your boat, even if you keep rocking back and forth, you can have a peace that surpasses understanding. You can start it today. How and why? John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, Jesus says. My peace I give you. Have you received it? Have you received it for salvation? And now, are you asking him? Just ask him right now, Jesus, I want to learn to walk in your new way of peace that comes from within, comes from above, rather than from around. I do not give to you as the world gives, so don't let your hearts be troubled. I I know for some of you this has stirred up deeply troubling things. God gives you compassion. He gives you empathy, but he also wants to give you peace right in the midst of it. Can I pray that for you right now? Father, I thank you for every person watching. You love them so dearly. And God, even the people who may be at odds with us, who may disagree with us, who may falsely accuse us, you love them too. God, I pray for every brother and sister in this moment. We just tell you that, Jesus, we want to experience your peace that comes from above. Holy Spirit, you live within and your fruit is love, joy, peace patience and gentleness. We want your peace. God, we want to learn to walk like Jesus walked, finding our affirmation in you, finding our peace in you. And Lord, as you fill us up on your peace, would you make us peacemakers? And Lord, as much as it depends on us, if at all possible, would you allow us to live at peace with all people? And when some people are impossible, would you allow us to release that we don't give account for them, but we do give account for ourselves. Lord, may we be peacemakers. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.